Last week uh, was Palm Sunday, and so we talked about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, This was a prophecy fulfilled. He presented himself as the true king. Um, This was a very public and uh, definitive statement for Jesus to enter the city in this way, uh, to receive praise in this way, to be viewed in this way, and so um, definitely setting himself up. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, as king, to be recognized as king, uh, as Messiah, um, but many still had this kind of false view of, uh, of the kingdom that he promised to bring. Uh, many people still misunderstanding what the kingdom of God was to look like. Um, I said that Jesus is worthy of our witness, worthy of our worship, and worthy of our wonder, um, and that was our Palm Sunday message. Uh, it's kind of difficult to go straight from Palm Sunday to the resurrection without mentioning some of what happened in between, and so... I want to just briefly go through that before we touch on this morning's text. Jesus, at the beginning of this week, as I said, rode into town to shouts of Hosanna, which means save us. Hosanna to the son of David. And so basically they're saying, save us, Messiah, the promised one who has promised to come and save us and set up a kingdom for us, the people of Israel, uh, save us. And so he's receiving this praise as the promised one. And then he spends time after that day teaching, serving, shepherding, uh, leads him to Passover, um, observing Passover, which would come to be known as the Last Supper with his disciples, during which he gives his followers a new commandment to love one another as he has loved us. He also instituted communion at that Last Supper for those that trust him by faith to proclaim his death until he comes again, to identify with his death, dying to self uh, for those who believe in him. It didn't take long for things to go south very quickly towards the end of the week. Jesus was betrayed by one of his own disciples. He's tried. He's unjustly convicted because the angry mob was just so um, convinced and swayed by the religious leaders who were being upset by Jesus' teaching and his claims. Um, They called for his head instead of uh, a known criminal. He was mocked, beaten, tortured, spat upon, and killed the darkest day in history. We now call it Good Friday because it's the day that Jesus' substitution for our punishment was completed. Our forgiveness was secured by his sacrificial work. He declared it is finished on that cross. All that needed to be done to cover our sin was done, and Jesus the man succumbed to death. His lifeless body was wrapped and placed in a tomb by two men who were If you read the text, kind of incognito followers of his, they hadn't really publicly declared themselves as followers of Jesus. This would uh, certainly identify them much more so um, as they take and prepare his body for burial. And we see the favor of God, uh, the Father, in this as Jesus, um, the way he was crucified, um, normally only family would have access to the deceased, and the people who come and, and receive his body prepared are not family, and so we see some abnormality. We start to see how God protects the Son of God uh, from the normal uh, indignities and humiliations that a common criminal might face. Uh, beyond that, Jesus was executed for sedition, and so this was like a high crime um, that he was executed for, and normally those executed for such a a crime, egregious crime, were left to hang on the cross for days, exposed to the elements and to the, uh, the scavenging birds, but uh, not Jesus. And so we see this favor because this is no ordinary criminal that is hanging on the cross. The fact that he's taken down earlier than normal, he's placed in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, which would have been like a burial of great honor, almost like a military burial of someone with great honor today that we would see. 
um, great respect upon the burial place given to Jesus. And so again, it's not what you would expect for a criminal to be uh, crucified and left and then thrown onto the, the burning pile of Gehenna is normally what would have been done, but not Jesus. He gets uh, a really nice unused tomb. And so there's some juxtaposition here of the circumstances. He's laid in the tomb on Friday, day one. He is sealed in the tomb. Um, day two, the Sabbath, my people are mourning uh, his loss, his death. And that brings us to Sunday morning, day three. So let's read. This is John chapter 20, verses 1 through 29. Uh, I'll read it. You can, the words will be on the screen, but you don't have to read along with me. It's John chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept and stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting there, where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen 
and yet have believed. A lot of text this morning, um, but an amazing account of Jesus' resurrection and some of the events that follow it in just the following days. I just have uh, one point this morning, so I hope that it's uh, memorable. I hope that it hits home. I hope it sinks in. I hope it's encouraging. I hope it stirs uh, your faith in Jesus, and it is this. Jesus rose from the dead to bring peace to all who believe. Jesus rose from the dead to bring peace to all who believe. Now, there's a lot of things that the resurrection accomplished. Uh, There's a lot of things that are true for us because of the resurrection. Uh, But this morning, we're going to focus on peace, shalom, the flourishing that biblical peace really means. There's some really cool elements to this story that we just read. I'm going to go back through and kind of highlight some of the things that uh, stand out. Um, nothing cooler or more amazing than the fact that Jesus was dead and is now alive. That is the highlight of this story. That is where the spotlight should be, the fact that the tomb is empty. Jesus is no longer dead. He has conquered sin and death, just like he said he would. The morning starts with Mary Magdalene visiting the tomb early, seeing the stone had been moved. She goes to tell Peter and the other disciples that someone must have taken him not yet realizing this is the resurrection that he had been promising and talked about. Peter and John, they run to the tomb. John outruns Peter. He makes sure to mention that. This is John writing this gospel, so he refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved and the other disciple, but he makes sure to mention that he got there first. Uh, He got to the tomb first, uh, outran him. He gets there first, he sees the linens lying there. And this is the first, this, I'd never seen this before in deeper study in the past couple of weeks. This stood out to me. The, there's three types of seeing in this passage. John uses three different verbs. The first one, John sees blepo, the linens, the Greek word blepo. This means he just physically observes them. He sees them with his eyes. Then Peter gets there. He finally catches up. And Peter goes into the grave, right? So John may have got there first, but Peter, being Peter, act first, think later, I'm going in. Like the, the, the stone's been rolled away. Let's go and look. He sees the cloths. This is theoreo. This is a different verb. It just means takes a longer look at the cloths. He notices the separate cloth, which would have covered Jesus' face, is folded and lined to this side. So Jesus came back from the dead uh, and then made his bed. I think it's, of course, Jesus, Jesus is perfect, right? So he wakes up. He's like, oh, I should tidy up a bit before I leave. He had no need for the space covering anymore, right? Then John goes into the tomb after Peter goes down, and he sees, this is the Greek word, orao, and he believes. This third type of seeing, this is a seeing that leads to understanding, perceiving truth, not just physically seeing things, not just kind of taking a look for a long time at something, but he sees and believes. There's enlightenment, understanding, there's perception that goes on here. He starts to understand this is not the case of someone who stole a corpse, right? He's starting to put the pieces together. The text does tell us, again, the disciples still weren't getting the fact that Jesus had resurrected like he had promised, but we see the sense in John that he's starting to understand that Jesus has done something here, not that something was done to him. And then they go home. Mary Magdalene, she finally gets to go into the tomb, whether she just took longer to get there or was waiting outside. She didn't get an update from Peter and John, it seems, and she's crying, she's mourning, she's basically wailing in grief. And then she takes a look and goes into the tomb. And Jesus is there. 
she says someone has taken Jesus, and he speaks to her. He asks why she's crying. She doesn't recognize him. She goes off again on, someone has taken my Lord, and if you know where he is, let me know, and I'll receive the body, and I'll take care of it. And then he says her name, Mary. And she says, Rabboni, she recognizes it, right? Jesus said, my sheep will know my voice. He calls her by name, and she recognizes this is Jesus. And either physically or just emotionally, she clings to him. Jesus, my teacher, right? She grabs hold of him, almost in the sense of, uh, I've I've lost you once. I don't want to lose you again. But Jesus says, don't cling to me. I have to ascend to the Father. But go and tell the disciples. And then this amazing act of faith and obedience for Mary, again, who is clinging to the one true hope, the, the, the person, the God who has changed and transformed her life. And she's got him, right? And he's saying, go, leave me here and go. This is a woman who scripture tells us used to be possessed by seven demons. She's been through it. She's had a huge, radical transformation in her life because of Jesus. And so to see him die to then think his body is lost, and to have him back. And Jesus says, don't cling to me, right? There's more to be done. And he sends her, and she goes. And so she goes. She goes to tell the message to the other disciples, being the first person that Jesus has revealed himself to since the resurrection. Many refer to her as the first evangelist, having witnessed the risen Jesus and going to proclaim him to others. Now the scene turns to the disciples hide out there behind locked doors for fear of persecution or just identifying with Jesus, having been known as his followers. Um, They're probably being accused of grave robbery, which they are still today sometimes accused of. It's one of the theories for those who don't believe. And so they're hanging out, not sure what to do. Jesus lets himself in somehow. The door is locked. Uh, If death and a tomb sealed by a giant boulder couldn't hold him back, this this household lock wasn't going to stop him either. And he greets them with, peace be with you. Peace, shalom. We talk about this shalom uh, quite a bit here at Missio Day. It's this idea of flourishing, prosperity of mind and soul, not just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of harmony. We sometimes view peace as just like, oh, they're not fighting anymore. That's peace. But peace really is abundance. It's harmony. It's flourishing. The gospel takes us not just from negative to zero or neutral. It takes us from negative to way, 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 way positive. This is a truer picture of biblical peace, not just the absence of conflict, the presence of flourishing and harmony. Think about your relationships with others, friends, parents, spouses, kids. Do you simply want the cold coexistence of the absence of conflict, peace? Or would you rather prefer a flourishing relationship filled with blessing? This is the shalom or peace that Jesus talks about that we see in Scripture. This is the peace that he promised his followers in John 14, 27. He promised the Holy Spirit to the disciples, one who will comfort and guide and remind them of all that he taught. And he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He told them he was going to give them shalom, harmony, flourishing. Then the time comes to secure it with his work on the cross. 
taking the punishment we earned with our sin, and in paying for our sin, Jesus accomplished peace between us and God. Again, not just the absence of conflict, not you've offended and sinned against the Holy God, and we're just going to set you back at zero. That's not where the gospel takes us. But in the cross, Jesus forgives our sin and gives us his righteousness. So he takes us not just from you're a sinner who's offended holy God, here's a do-over. He doesn't leave us there. He sets us so far into the positive with every spiritual blessing that is available in Christ, in himself. That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross and what he offers to us by faith. Bruce Milne wrote that shalom is life at its best under the gracious hand of God. Jesus' use of it on that Easter evening therefore represented the first truly authentic bestowal of shalom in the history of the world, precisely because he has brought the kingdom of God into realization by his death and rising. Now and only now is shalom a realizable blessing. His shalom is the complement to it is finished. The work has been done. He goes into the tomb, he rises again, and then shalom, peace. It's been realized. The work has been accomplished. Peace is seen in a whole new light. It's been secured. It's been bought. Jesus burned the note, right? He's paid off the debt. Excuse me. The payoff was complete. Shalom, peace to all who believe. This is why Jesus greets his disciples with shalom, peace. He's reminding them, I told you I'd bring you peace. My peace I leave with you. My peace I bring to you. So the first time he sees them, he says, shalom, peace be with me with you. It repeats in verse 21. He says it again, peace be with you. And again, he says peace. And then eight days later, when Thomas is with them, he greets them again, peace be with you. Jesus' purpose in redeeming sinners was to bring peace. Peace was declared at his birth, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Peace was promised before his death, as we just read, peace I leave with you, my peace I bring to you, I give to you. And peace was announced after his resurrection. This is because the resurrection proves all the promises of Jesus to be true. He made a lot of promises during his time dwelling among us. He promised forgiveness of sin. He promised to never leave or forsake us. He said we didn't need to worry or be anxious because he promised provision. He promised us everlasting life with him. He promised rest for our weary souls. He promised that he'd go before us to prepare a place for us. He promised us joy and abundant life. He promised trouble from a world that he'd overcome already. He said no one could take us from him. And if he had just made all these promises, talked a big game like a politician trying to get elected, and then been killed and stayed dead, they would be worthless. Empty words. But Jesus is no charlatan. He didn't set us up. This wasn't April Ludgate setting all of Ron Swanson's appointments for March 31st because she didn't believe it was a real day, thinking he wouldn't have to take any appointments. It's not like Jesus is an exasperated parent making promises about the future to appease their kids, hoping they'd forget the promises we make, and having to be reminded by those kids who have memories like elephants about those promises. 
You said you'd buy us ice cream if blah, blah, blah. Or you said we could do science experiments when yada, yada, yada. Oh, did I say that? Oh, okay. I was just trying to get you to, yeah. That's not what Jesus did. It wasn't a delusion. It wasn't false confidence like so many false prophets that promise things that they actually think they can make good on and then die and stay dead. No, this is not what Jesus has done. He knew what he was promising. He knew he could and would make good on them. And he knew we'd remember what he said. And when he got up out of that grave, it confirmed that he wasn't a madman claiming to be divine, but that he was indeed, is indeed the son of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all of his promises are true. And all of his promises bring about this shalom, this peace, this flourishing for us. So when he defeats death, he announces, peace be with you. This peace is yours. It is here now. It is realized. It is for you. This peace that surpasses understanding, as Scripture tells us. This absence of conflict between us and a holy God. This harmony in our relationships with God and others. This rest for our souls in this life and the next. This peace is available to all who believe because Jesus rose from the grave. He folded his laundry and then he left the tomb. He came back to life on that third day and he's still alive today. We worship a risen Savior, a living King, a Redeemer who made it possible for us to be reconciled to God and made alive in Him. This everlasting spiritual life and abundant peace are freely available today because Jesus rose from the dead to bring peace to all who believe. The Bible tells us that it's by faith we are saved, not by our work so that no one can boast, but as we read the account of Christ, it's his work that makes it work, right? We owed a debt we could never pay because of our sin against a holy God. And so what does he do? He sends a sinless son to live as fully God and fully man so that as he pays the price for our sin on the cross, a man is paying the price, taking the punishment. But he has no sin of his own, because then he would have been paying for his own sin. But he is sinless, so he pays for the sin of others. But being fully God, he doesn't stay dead. And so the price is paid, the account is settled, and yet the power, the curse of sin and death is defeated because fully God the power of the Spirit raises him from the grave. And in all of that, Jesus comes back and says, Shalom, peace be with you. It is realized. You can have it today. Experience it now. It may not be financial or health or physical blessing, but it is a flourishing between you and a holy God and between you and fellow man by faith in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the promises that you've made. Promises that you knew you would fulfill. Promises you knew you would make good on. Promises even to send a helper to remind us of your promises. Jesus, you in obedience and love went to the cross. You suffered a death that you did not deserve. You suffered humiliation and torture that you did not deserve, that we deserved, and you stood there as our substitute. 
laying down your life. And yet, in an exclamation on the back end, the end of the weekend, you rose from the grave, defeating the power of sin and death, taking victory from death, taking sting, the sting out of death, that we might be raised to new life in you as well. That is why we celebrate Easter, the resurrection, the confirmation that you are who you said you are, and you would do all that you said you would do. God, I pray that if there's anyone in the room today who is yet to trust you by faith, God, that you would be drawing them to yourself. You would give them faith to believe, spiritual eyes to see Jesus as the Son of God, to see themselves as a sinner in need of a Savior. And God, that you would give them faith to believe. Your Scripture tells us that if we trust in you by faith, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's our prayer, Jesus. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen.